This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. And as you've heard, uh, Claudette and myself and Richard Duggan um, um, broadcasting throughout the course of the afternoon, uh, as of right now, Torbay Road remains closed due to to that serious collision that occurred shortly after 1 o'clock this afternoon. Um, The intent and the hope is is that uh, the road will be reopened in time for the evening commute. We're into the 4 o'clock hour here now. Uh, We'll keep you up to date on that, but uh, if you're trying to get in or out of Torbay right now, uh, you'll have to take, uh, I guess, the circuitous route. Um, uh, So it's, um, uh, you know, adding to the commute for uh, an awful lot of people in this region, but we'll keep you up to date on that and let you know um, what the situation is regarding that that terrible collision. Well, um, that road may be reopening just as we start to get uh, a turn in the weather. We've got another messy mix of weather coming our way. Environment Canada meteorologist uh, Jill Mapia joins me now. Well, Jill, nothing much happening here in the metro area as we speak. What can we expect heading into the evening hours? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, we are seeing some, some scattered flurries uh, across the Avalon, mainly more into central uh, Newfoundland. But um, we should see that precipitation start to increase in the next couple of hours in the form of snow. Um, but the snow uh, will quickly change to freezing rain. Um, we are expecting several hours of freezing rain. Uh, that will begin, like I said, later this afternoon, probably more towards early evening. And it will continue into the overnight hours. So how much in the way of uh, snowfall precipitation are we expecting in Newfoundland? Uh, snowfall will be uh, fairly limited. Uh, we aren't expecting a lot of snow with the system. Again, it looks like more like freezing rain is, is more of the significant impacts. But uh, some of the um, uh, interior and central areas can see uh, possibly up to 10 centimeters, some localized 15. Uh, basically for the Avalon, we are just looking at about 2 to 5 centimeters for um, some, some, mainly the northern Avalon. So with uh, freezing rain or glitter, as we like to call it, comes, you know, that uh, collection of ice on trees and power lines. Uh, Is there a possibility we could see some outages from as a result of this? Yeah, definitely. We could uh, definitely are anticipating some ice accumulation on the, on those uh, various structures. Um, the good news is that there isn't a lot of wind. We're only really expecting winds 20 gusting 40. So that'll uh, be a bit of a bonus, I guess, in terms of if that ice uh, does start accumulating on on those structures. So, um, But hopefully um, the, the amounts will be kind of somewhat limited um, and will not cause too many power outages. But slippery underfoot, I would imagine, and on the roads. Yeah, definitely. Any untreated surfaces will definitely have that ice layer developed on them. So when can we expect this to clear out? Um, it does actually move through quite quickly. By tomorrow morning, uh, the low is, is mostly uh, pulled away. The precipitation will stop. Um, like I said, right now we are expecting that freezing rain to change over to some rain, uh, mainly for the southern Avalon. We might get a little bit of rain mixing in, in the overnight hours in St. John's. But um, in, uh, overall, it, it will cl- uh, clear quickly uh, into tomorrow on, uh, in terms of the precipitation. Any idea what the weekend's going to look like now? 
the weekend, uh, right now, we are seeing another system approaching uh, from the west. It, it will start beginning affecting the western portion on the island on Saturday, and then it does sweep across the eastern part of the island, but overall, not a significant system, a quick mover, and it would look like rain mostly for the eastern part of the island, and, and amounts at this point, uh, at this time do not look significant. So last few days, we've seen some pretty low temperatures, but it sounds to me like we're going to see warmer temperatures over the next little while. Yeah, no, that that is the case. Um, we're seeing definitely some above uh, average temperatures. We're getting climbing above the, the zero mark, which is a normal average for this time of year. So, yeah, we're definitely going to see some of those single-digit highs on the plus side over the next couple of days. Jill, maybe I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. So pretty messy uh, through the evening hours and overnight for eastern portions of the island, including central Newfoundland. The city of St. John's is preparing for the messy weather. Mayor Danny Breen says city crews are working diligently. Well, the city has a, has a robust plan to, to deal with these issues, so our staff are preparing for that now. Uh, they know uh, uh, what work that needs to be done, so they'll be out doing their usual um, great work that they do uh, that they do in the city. Well, when we come back after the break, the opposition questions government oversight in light of revelations made this week by the Globe and Mail on the province's reliance on agency nurses. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back, still awaiting word, an update from the RNC on the situation involving um, the closure of Torbay Road at uh, Pine Line and RCAF Road. Uh, it's been closed in that area for a couple of hours now while RNC conducted a reinvestigation into a, a pretty serious collision there earlier today. So we'll uh, keep you up to date on that. In the meantime, opposition leader Tony Wakem wants the AG to examine the contract awarded to CHL, a company which provided travel nurses to fill gaps in the Newfoundland and Labrador healthcare system at a cost of more than $35 million over just a few months' time. Tony Wakeham uh, takes it a step further, however, and wants RCMP to look into whether or not fraud may have been committed. The opposition leader joins me now. Well, Tony Wakeham, we've all seen that uh, Globe and Mail article now. What, what's the opposition looking for? Well, again, it's in response to the latest comments by the uh, Premier when it comes to this particular article. I mean, the comments about sometimes things go off the rails for whatever reason, I mean, it seems the Premier is implying, using that analogy, that it was the health authorities who were not uh, driving with due care and attention. But, you know, we all know that this contract came about again, according to the article, because of the efforts of the Premier's own office. There was a Liberal lobbyist who made contact with a staffer in the Premier's office to initiate this contact with this particular company. And a short time later, there was a sole charge, um, RFP or not RFP, but sorry, contract issued to this particular company. And so when the Premier talks about whose attention and going off the rails, I mean, it's clearly his office of the premier that would have initiated this initial contract. Uh, the health authorities may have been the ones 
who actually signed it, but it would not have been done so without the approval of the minister and perhaps the premier himself. So you've been on that side of things with the health authority. Does it worry you how this all played out? Well, exactly. That's why, you know, when I know from my previous experience that health authorities aren't going to enter into contracts like this unless the minister and the premier's office agrees to it. And secondly, it was where this was initially started with the premier's office. It makes you think that this is where the direction was coming from, that this contract uh, needed to get done and uh, and it was the premier's office who was dictating to the health authorities to get it done and so that leads again then to the question of okay we've entered into a contract with for travel nurses which we knew at the time were necessary because of the fact that we just didn't have enough staff but how did we find ourselves in a contract that allowed us to pay for services we never received, i.e. the idea that there was $1.6 million paid out for meal allowance that apparently, again, according to the article, were never ever uh, paid out to the actual uh, nurses themselves. And how do we enter into contracts that wind up paying for air fryers and and other things that have been uh, highlighted in this report? What does that tell you about oversight? Again, that's the big concern here is one, you know, would we have known about any of this if it had not been for investigative reporting? And the fact that the premier simply dismisses it as simply saying sometimes things go off the rails for whatever reason is just not good enough. I mean, there should have been due diligence done. Surely uh, we would have known exactly what was in the contract, what we were supposed to pay for, and how that was going to be billed. And then when those invoices came in, they would have been reviewed to make sure we weren't paying for things that uh, we should ought or ought not to be paying for. But what's concerning is if we actually paid for these things and they were already built into the contract, then that raises a, a whole other issues. And, of course, this, the thing for me now is what is it that we don't know? You know I've called, talked about the AG coming in and investigating how this contract you know, went off the rails and, and where was the due diligence and how do we wind up paying for things like this. That's one thing. But now I've, I've said, you know, perhaps it's time for the RCMP to look at it from a sense of was there any, any fraudulent activities? The, uh, the article, you know, talks about the fact that, again, $1.6 million being billed without any of that being uh, provided. So are there other things there that we were billed for that perhaps didn't get, uh, weren't, weren't uh, allocated to the problems or are we paying for services we never received? So those are the those are the things that are still outstanding here, but you know you can't turn around and and use a, a, a train analogy and simply say that you know there was nobody at the controls of the train and you can't blame if the train goes off the rails you can't blame the rail cars behind the engine. I mean the premier and his office were the conductors here. They were the ones that initially started this contract. So I would have thought, and we should expect as taxpayers of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, that public expenditure like this is being reviewed, is being audited, and the contracts that we're using are actually in place, and we know exactly what we're paying for. 
Does this raise uh, greater questions for you about the processes in place, especially in light of, uh, you know, some of the decisions made, uh, particularly through the pandemic? Well, again, it, it raises questions about the way this government reacts. This government is in a reaction mode. One of the th key things in this particular case is we still not have, have heard anything about the government and what their plans are to wean ourselves off travel nurses. There's been no conversation around that. We're continuing to use travel nurses. We continue to renew contracts with this same firm. And, and that's one of the other key things here. It's one thing to have it's necessary during the pandemic, but we're two years removed and we have not seen the plan to say, how are we going to wean ourselves off of travel nurses? The House of Assembly resumes now in uh, the next couple of weeks. So what is the opposition prepared for? Well, again, uh, we're, you know, we're going to go in and uh, and uh, challenge the government on its decision-making processes. We're going to challenge the government and ask them where their plans are. It's one thing to uh, make announcement after announcement, but if you're only making announcements for the sake of announcements without plans behind it, that that's part of the, the problem here, you know, that the government is continuing to announce things, but it seems like it's simply... What do, what can we get out the door, or what do we need to announce next? Uh, you know, and and they continue to enter into these sole uh, agreements. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about 21 million dollars being given to a hotel in the city for uh, shelter for housing, and again unsolicited, no RFPs, no competitive bids, a liberal company apparently. The, you know, these are the kinds of uh, stories that, that we're, we're hearing out there. And at the same time, you know, we need to hammer home to this government, to this liberal government, to understand that it's the people of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador who are the ones paying and hurting right now. The cost of living, you know, access to health care continues to be a challenge. So all of these things will be hammered home again when the House opens. Tony Wakem, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. And Tony Wakem, of course, is the leader of the opposition. Well, here's what Health Minister Tom Osborne and Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services Vice President of Human Resources, Debbie Malloy, had to say to reporters today about uh, the opposition's concerns. I'd like to know what proof of fraud Mr. Wakem has. Look, the reality here is um, there were concerns raised in the Global Mail article. Um, you know, I have indicated that uh, I have asked the health authority for uh, details uh, around the concerns that were raised in the Global Mail article. If, in fact, uh, the contracts, uh, because there are a number of agencies that provide nursing to the Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services, it's not just one, I believe there's about 10 agencies. Um, so if the contracts were followed and due diligence was followed, the news is how expensive agency nursing is, and that's not a surprise. We've, we've known last year, uh, I've answered questions to the media last year on the cost of agency nursing. If due diligence was not followed, then there are other issues and other concerns, but it's premature for me to say that uh, there's something wrong until the health authority contact me and tell me uh, you know, give me the details and, and answer the concerns that were raised in the Global Mail. That process has started. Uh, we'll await a word back from the Health Authority.
what sort of oversight steps were taken throughout the entire process of offering these contracts and shelling out multi-million dollar contracts to people? Like, were, uh, the Premier said that you're, he's asked you to investigate now, but what steps were taken throughout the entire process? So the signing of these contracts is not something that is overseen by a deputy minister or, or a minister. These are operational issues. The contracts are signed between the health authority and uh, the proponents. And again, there's about 10 agencies that are providing nurses to Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. Um, every province in Canada are dealing with uh, nursing agencies because there's a shortage of nurses across Canada. So there are contracts with every health authority in every province across the country. Uh, but that is operational. Um, you know, I don't know if uh, uh, Debbie Malloy is able to answer that a little better than I can. Um, I think a lot of these contracts were entered into during uh, during the pandemic when um, there was an acute shortage of, uh, of nursing resources. Um, we were faced with um, having to close services or um, look to agencies to help provide nursing. And so um, because of that, uh, we used a process of sole sourcing. Sorry, we're hearing stories of students who are not being offered full-time contracts or who are not getting um, a lot of hours or who are even considering leaving the province because they're not getting enough hours or have been only offered temporary contracts. So what do you what what do you to say to that um, when there's students yeah. out there that are I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll both have oh, something okay. to say, so yeah. Debbie can start. Okay, and. sure. Um, so uh, we're in the process right now of matching opportunities to graduates. Uh, and I'm very happy to say that by the end of that process, um, every single nursing graduate will have an opportunity to work in a full-time permanent position if that's where they so choose. Um, many nursing graduates have preferred areas that they want to work in and preferred communities that they would like to work in. And so we're trying to work with each and every one of the nursing graduates to make sure that we're balancing what, where they want to work with the needs of the health authority. But every single one of them, if they would want a full-time permanent job, there is one available for them within NLHS. So that is the Vice President of Human Resources with NL Health Services, Debbie Malloy, accompanied by Health Minister Tom Osborne, responding to uh, questions raised by the um, uh, opposition about that uh, contract awarded to CHL, uh, costing uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador taxpayers some $35 million. Um, Claudette, uh, continuing to watch the RNC's Twitter feed very closely to see what the situation is on Torbay Road. I know you have access to um, some of the NL traffic um, stuff. Is the road still closed? We're not getting an update as of yet. No, just uh, some people complaining that uh, Torbay Road is still closed off after over three hours. I'm just uh, updating now to see if the road looks like it is still closed in that area so it we don't have an official word yet whether or not um, you know how long it will be closed but as you mentioned earlier on um, it's it is causing going to be causing a problem because this is when people get off work and to have to go the long way around is going to be quite cumbersome especially as the weather turns too but so far it looks like that uh, the road is still closed in that area.
Yes, and uh, just indicative, I suppose, of the uh, seriousness and perhaps complexity of the situation there. So um, uh, we'll keep you up to date on that, and with any luck, uh, the road will open uh, within, within due order. Well, when we come back after the news break with VOCM's Richard Duggan, uh, Brea Renewables has achieved what they call commercial operations at the old Come By Chance oil refinery. They purchased that facility a few years ago and have been uh, working ever since on uh, trying to convert it into a renewable diesel production facility. So we'll get a little update from the uh, CEO of Brea Renewable Fuels, Mr. Todd O'Malley, when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. And we're back. And just to uh, repeat, uh, Torbay Road is now reopened uh, in both directions. So if you were uh, heading uh, into town from the Torbay area or into Torbay from the St. John's area, uh, you can can proceed along your regular route. Well, Brea, the company that converted the old Come By Chance oil refinery into a renewable fuel production facility is now in commercial operation. The company first outlined its plans to convert the refinery back in 2021. Cresta Fund Management acquired majority ownership of the refinery from Silver Peak and rebranded as Brea Renewable Fuels. Since then, work has been underway to convert the facility from an oil refinery to a renewable diesel producer. CEO Todd O'Malley joins me now. Well, Todd O'Malley, uh, Brea now um, in commercial operations. What exactly does that mean? So that's a great question. Uh, What it means is we finished the long process of refurbishing and uh, revamping the plant. Uh, We reached uh, mechanical completion uh, in the middle of January, uh, which meant that we then moved into commissioning phase, so preparing to start up. Uh, Late last week, we introduced uh, feedstock into the system uh, for the first time since the plant was idled, uh, you know, back, I guess, in 2020 uh, when it was previously a petroleum-based refinery. And ultimately, uh, we have produced on-spec renewable diesel. So it's a momentous day for the company, uh, all the hardworking employees. Uh, We appreciate the great support and partnership we've had from the local, uh, provincial, and federal government in Canada. And, uh, you know, we're very excited and uh, looking forward to the future now. It's been a tough road getting here. No, uh, no question. Uh, no project of uh, this scope and scale uh, is ever uh, easy. Uh, very rarely are they, you know, on time or on budget. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously we had a uh, you know, a, a very difficult time uh, for the refinery staff and the families around, uh, you know, the event that happened, the flash fire. Uh, but I will say, you know, the mandate that I've driven home since I've joined is, you know, our, our job is to run the plant safely, reliably, and environmentally responsibly. Uh, and uh, I continue to hammer that home every single day. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, I think, now on a, on a great path for a bright future. Uh, providing, you know, long-term jobs for, uh, you know, a a fantastic workforce and a world-class facility. So, again, couldn't be more excited about where we are today. So what do you expect now in 2024? Yeah, uh, look, I think, you know, we we now need to focus on ramping the plant up. Uh, And when I say that, I mean 
increasing production uh, to approach nameplate capacity, which is 18,000 barrels a day of production of renewable diesel. Uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll obviously get there uh, as you restart these complex uh, pieces of machinery. You know, you, again, want to do it safely, uh, reliably, and environmentally responsibly, which means you do uh, slow increases over, you know, over a period of time. Uh, and then I think you, we're, we're really looking forward to continuing to grow inside of our footprint, uh, looking at a number of different projects that we can execute that add value, add jobs, and uh, you know, continue to support our goal of helping Canada and the world become net zero by 2050. So what are the current markets then? Current markets in terms of where the product would be sold or? Yeah, and, and who's using it? Yeah, so look, uh, this is a, you know, what's considered to be a drop-in fuel. Uh, and when people say that, it means that it has effectively identical properties to the petroleum-based fuel that it's replacing. So in this case, it would be replacing ultra-low sulfur diesel. Uh, these uses uh, are obviously, you know, for the consumer. Uh, so you have, uh, you know, anybody who is driving a, a truck or a vehicle fueled by ultra-low sulfur diesel uh, can take advantage of a, a cleaner, greener world by, you know, utilizing our fuel. Uh, in addition to that, it can uh, and will be used to help decarbonize uh, traditional industry that uh, is, you know, fairly difficult to decarbonize. So things along the lines of locomotion uh, with the railroads, uh, you could look at power plants that might potentially be burning ultra-low sulfur diesel uh, to generate steam and power. Uh, you could look at other heavy industries that, again, use diesel to fire, uh, you know, heavy-duty machinery. Uh, so I think, you know, the future is bright. Uh, those are industries that, given our current standard of living in the world today, we depend on day in and day out. Uh, and, you know, we're here to, to help you know, again, reach that net zero goal by 2050 uh, with the products that we're producing. What are you using as feedstock? Because I know in the early days, there was a lot of jokes about smelling French fries as you pass that area of the highway. Uh, so what are you using? We'd, we'd prefer, you know, we prefer the uh, the chicken analogy, given how, you know, how fantastic some of the chicken is on the island um, in some of the great restaurants. But uh, no, all joking aside, uh, we have uh, the luxury of being in a great geography that uh, also has very, very deep water at our dock. Uh, and this allows us to realistically source feedstock uh, from around the world. Uh, you are correct that one of those feedstocks could potentially be used cooking oil. Uh, we could also be looking at soybean oil. Uh, we could be looking at tallow or various other animal fats, uh, as well as distillers' corn oil. Uh, but again, because of our geographic location and because of the infrastructure that we have, uh, we literally could source uh, those materials from anywhere in the world where they're available and economic for us to do so. So what kinds of science or engineering goes into turning that, that, that type of product, into a different type of product? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, it, it really is, uh, you know, I'll simplify it, let's say. Uh, it really is temperature and pressure at the end of the day. 
uh, along with a combination of uh, hydrogen to remove sulfur from the fuel. Uh, but those are uh, realistically the key components uh, that go into changing, uh, you know, what is a, a soy-based methyl ester or other animal fat or waste oil uh, into a drop-in fuel uh, such as renewable diesel. And by the way, that technology is not any different than the technology that is used in traditional petroleum refineries, uh, which is why this project has lent itself so well to uh, converting the refinery from a, a petroleum-based refinery to a, you know, a green and clean refinery. So commercial operations now underway. Any plans for a big, you know, opening type ceremony? Uh, yeah, we, we do have something in the works. I think uh, we'll be willing to share that uh, a little bit uh, further down the road. But uh, we definitely want to celebrate uh, the folks who have worked uh, tirelessly to get us to this point. Uh, all the employees, our partners, uh, the local government, the provincial government, the federal government, our stakeholders, uh, obviously you and the press. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to do that at a time and a place where, you know, we think everybody can be there uh, and, you know, give everybody their due in, in terms of, uh, you know, what a great celebration it should be. Todd O'Malley, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda. Have a great day. Appreciate your interest and look forward to meeting you in person someday. And Todd O'Malley is the CEO of Brea Renewable Fuels. Well, coming up, OCI sells off his scallop quotas in the offshore Nova Scotia. What does that mean exactly? CEO Martin Sullivan joins me next. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we are back. Well, Ocean Choice International has sold off its offshore Nova Scotia scallop quotas to three area companies and is reinvesting the money in local operations. CEO Martin Sullivan joins me now. Well, Martin Sullivan, tell us what's going on now with Ocean Choice International and uh, its scallop quotas in offshore Nova Scotia. Yeah, no, we, uh, we've uh, done a deal with three Nova Scotia companies to uh, sell our scallop quota off Nova Scotia and to buy their quotas of uh, Greenland halibut, cod and redfish off Newfoundland. And basically, as a part of this deal, uh, we're reinvesting uh, heavily in the Newfoundland operations in terms of our, uh, our crab plants, our vessels and so on. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a... A bit of an inflection point for us in terms of how we want to uh, grow the business. We really want to support uh, the Newfoundland business, and we can see a lot of opportunity here. And uh, so we've made the decision to, uh, to go in that direction. Did anything specific prompt this decision? No, well, you probably heard we, we lost our scholar uh, vessel three years ago, and we've been looking at an investment uh, in the boat. It's They're quite expensive now, and with high interest rate environment, it's not something we thought was in the best long-term interest of the business. So we looked at alternatives of what we would do, and uh, the three companies we're dealing with are, uh, you know, three family-owned businesses in Nova Scotia like ourselves. 
and uh, there was a lot of mutual uh, things there in terms of us getting access to fish they had off Nova Scotia and, and them getting access to scallops that we had off Nova Scotia. So uh, And also, we're staying in the scallop business because we do have a sales and marketing agreement with one of the companies to sell a substantial quantity of scallops in, uh, in our markets in Asia, Europe, and North America. So we think overall it's a win-win deal and it's good for our business and uh, hopefully it's good for theirs as well. So what will this mean here in Newfoundland? Well, really, there's, there's uh, the only impact in Newfoundland is positive. I mean, there's no employees displaced. There's none of, none of that. But what it means is further investment in our operations here. Uh, you know, we are already undertaking fairly substantial investments in our crab plants. And we have plans to do more. And uh, as well, there's changes we need to make with some of our vessels. And we're investing heavily there as well. So you'll see some of that as that'll unfold over the next weeks ahead. But uh it's really a, just a little change of focus, still staying in the scallop business in terms of the sales side, but, uh, you know, uh, making investments in the Newfoundland business, uh, uh, you know, as we move forward here. Anything else on the horizon? Well, uh, there's always things happening, you know, but we, we don't talk about them until we get to a point where, where you know, there's something substantive. But uh, we're looking at uh, a lot of different investments in our business and, you know, uh, you know, that'll unfold over the weeks ahead. Martin Sullivan, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Uh, you're more than welcome. Martin Sullivan, of course, is the CEO of Ocean Choice International. Uh, they've just um, sold off their offshore Nova Scotia scallop quotas to uh, three area companies and are reinvesting the money back into local operations, uh, picking up their quotas in offshore Newfoundland for a variety of species. Uh, in case you're just joining us now, the uh, uh, Torbay Road is uh, reopened to both directions of traffic. Uh, the, it was closed earlier today, if you haven't already heard uh, due to a very serious uh, collision that occurred there uh, shortly after one o'clock this afternoon. So that has now been reopened. So if you're just uh, wondering if uh, which route to take, uh, you are free to take Torbay Road once again. Well, St. John's Mayor Danny Breen delivered his State of the City address to St. John's Rotary today. VOCM's Richard Duggan caught up with the mayor just before he took to the podium. All right, so Mayor Breen, you're going to give an outlook for the city of St. John's today. Uh, how are things looking? Well, you know, what, what I do annually, uh, Rotary always invites uh, the mayor uh, to, give a, to give an address on, uh, on, on the year, the upcoming year, and the things that are, things that are happening uh, at the city. So it's a good opportunity to explain uh, some of the projects that we're in the middle of or on, will be undertaking in, uh, in the coming year. Um, and, uh, and also to be able to answer any questions that, uh, that people may have. What is coming up this year? What what are you excited about in, in 2024? Well, you know, I think one of the things that uh, is going to be important is uh, the opening of the Muse Centre, which will happen in uh, in 24. Uh, also, the preparations for the Canada Games. Just an update on, on what's happening there. Updates on our sustainability plan, our transportation plans, uh, new developments at uh, at Metrobus. We've seen an increase in ridership uh, over that time. Uh, but also to look at some of the bigger issue changes that uh, that we're talking 
talking about. Uh, over the next uh, while, there's going to be a national discussion about the fiscal framework between municipalities and how municipalities are funded and how that funding works with other levels of government. So that's a big issue that uh, that we're uh, prepared for because, as we saw this year, uh, costs were rising. When costs rise and different economic uh, activity uh, takes place, uh, it has an impact on the revenues for municipalities, and many this year uh, have been put in a position where the costs have increased for residents. So uh, we need to take the reliance off property taxes and look at other ways to get other streams of revenue uh, to offset that. You answered this already, but I was going to ask, what is the biggest challenge, I guess, heading into 2024? Well, I think the challenge is going to be the economy again. I think we're uh, uh, we, we're, we're not sure uh, where uh, where interest rates are going to go, and interest rates uh, do uh, uh, do drive uh, the economic activity. So uh, we're waiting to see where the Bank of Canada goes this year on on interest rates. But it looks of the way that inflation has been has been falling. If that continues, we may get some relief there. Uh, we're also so looking at increases in the uh, economy, West, West White Rose um, uh, work will continue and that will have a major impact on the, on the economy in the province and in the city. And uh, also looking at, uh, at what we can do to deal with the higher costs that we're facing. Uh, everybody's seen the, uh, uh, the snow that we've had recently and uh, that comes with a cost of, uh, of, of removing that. Those costs are higher now as a result result of increases in the cost of salt, increase in the cost of fuel. Uh, so uh, we're, we're looking at all those issues. So uh, inflation and the economy are going to be big issues again in 24. So that was uh, Danny Breen just before delivering his State of the City address to St. John's Rotary uh, today at the Capitol Hotel. And I understand interest in that was so high that uh, parking was at a premium, especially with all the snowbanks around. So um, obviously great interest in what he had to say there. Well, on the same, um, I suppose, uh, topic or trajectory, Statistics Canada says that retail sales point, uh, rose 0.9% to 67.3% billion dollars in December helped in uh, strength by sales at new car dealers. However, the agency says its early estimate of retail sales for January points to a drop of 0.4% for the first month of 2024. For December, Statistics Canada says sales were up in five of the nine subsectors, it tracks sales for the motor vehicle and parts dealers subsector rose 1.9%, helped by a 2.4% increase in sales at new car dealers, offset, of course, by a 2.7% drop at automotive parts, accessories, and tire retailers. Core retail sales, which exclude gasoline stations and fuel vendors, as well as motor vehicle and parts dealers, were up 0.5% in December. In volume terms, Statistics Canada says retail sales rose 0.8% in December. So very modest growth in retail sales in uh, December, which is normally a very, very busy time in uh, the retail world. Um, And if you're just joining us now and are wondering um, which route to take on your commute home, especially if you're heading to or from Torbay, uh, 
Um, Torbay Road now reopened following that very serious accident that occurred there just after one o'clock this afternoon. Uh, uh, quite a, a lengthy portion of the road was closed while police and emergency crews attended to the scene. So we'll have details on that as soon as they become available. But for the time being, the road is now open in both directions. Uh, so um, hopefully you won't encounter any slowdowns or uh, problems there. Um, I had a funny story, Claudette, and I lost it. Oh. And I was kind of, you know, you can tell when a broadcaster is trying to <laughs> kill for time to we look for the it. thing that they have oh, uh, or had in front of them. But there, I had a little funny story to share, and I... I can't find it now. Oh, no. So tell me a joke. <laughs> I want to tell you what happened. I mentioned this earlier today. Um, I should try to <laughs> haul it up. Um, so almost the same thing what you're going through right now. Uh, so my sister was teaching me how to make sourdough. Okay. Sourdough bread. I've never made a loaf of bread in my entire That is life. so 2020. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always behind in the times, but now I'm really interested. And so, um, you know, I, I FaceTimed her a lot, and she helped me a lot. And then I made it, but I made it without her. And I didn't trust my own taste buds. I had to go to her house and say, what do you think of this bread? So I dropped some off, came home. And the next day... We were chatting back and forth on a text, and she says, the holes in your head are picture perfect. And I thought she was insulting my intelligence, but it was a mistext. The holes in my bread are picture perfect. <laughs> so that was a, a little bit of what, have you ever said? Hey, wait texts? a minute. I know. I'm like, yeah, I know. Thanks. Not as much as you. <laughs> but she meant the sourdough bread. Spoken like only a sister can. Right? Um, <laughs> uh, are you sure that's what she meant? I, well, that's what she's saying. It's a good cover, right? <laughs> <laughs> so are holes in sourdough bread important? Yeah, apparently they are. Like the, the texture, and I guess it has to do with the, uh, really, I should not be talking because I'm so, such an amateur at it. I made one loaf, and I had to get a lot of help with it. And I did it in my slow cooker because I didn't want to have to buy one of those um, Dutch ovens. So I thought, I'll use what I have and go on YouTube. So it worked wonderfully. But yeah, it all has to do with like an active bacteria culture and grow, feeding it in the fridge. Yeah, it's all chemistry and yeah. biology and yeah. But I like the taste of it, but I was like, is it supposed to taste like this? I have no idea because this is my first loaf. Should it taste good? <laughs> so, so it was pleasant. It was, except for the look. When you do something in a slow cooker, as you know, um, it doesn't have that golden look that oh, you yeah. have in the oven. So if so I it were to... a little bit it looked pasty. Uncooked. Like your legs at summertime. <laughs> <laughs> when did you you see my legs. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you should, you know, now you should bring some in. Right. Okay, maybe one, I'll try another loaf and, and see. You'll be my guinea pig. And I'll uh, judge the holes in your head. <laughs> um, Claudette, thanks so much. Uh, that's it for us for this evening, folks. Uh, do join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now.